going on right now. Um, we're going to be um, diving into this section. We've, we're only going to get done with point number one, as you guys can see on your guys' study sheet. We've only got one point with a whole bunch of subpoints. I'm going to be breaking this message into three parts, um, just because I think that we need to give it a little bit more time, because this is massive. I was going back in 2017, we actually did an entire series on the body of Christ, um, and it lasted like gosh, three months or something like that. So I was looking at all my notes, and I'm like, man, this is good. Man, wow, oh man, ah! Oh. And then I'm trying to trim and say, okay, how can we just pull some things in here and really make it compact in order to fit in this series? So we're gonna be doing a little bit, but this is gonna be a little bit different. I decided to take this from a little bit of a different angle, and that is to really ask some questions behind it because we're gonna be talking about how that we were built for a body, built as a body. So we're gonna be talking about that one tonight. So just as a quick recap, here's our theme verse. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The more evil the days get, the more we've got to be able to redeem the time. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It is God's will for you and in your life that you would redeem the time that He's given you to use it wisely. And so we talked about how you're divinely designed by God that you are put together the way God wanted you to be put together on purpose, for purpose. And there's a lot of people that don't like how they are. And just as a side note real quick, if you struggle with who you are and some of your insecurities, um, be careful because you could actually be very blasphemous in your attitude towards God. Kind of think about that. Uh, if He wanted you to be different, you'd be different. But He wanted you the way He made you. So you need to learn that he made you that way, strengths and weaknesses, your family placement, everything for a reason. And there are people that you can minister that no one else can. So be thinking about that because that's what Lucifer did. God created Lucifer to, to fulfill a certain role and a certain function, made him exactly how I wanted him to be made, and he wasn't content with that. So be careful because we can very easily act like Lucifer. And that you're made for a mission, and that is evangelism and discipleship. And so we talked about evangelism, and we made fools of ourselves coming up front and witnessing. Hopefully you guys have been putting some of that into practice. Um, and if not, then keep praying for those open doors that God can give you to witness to somebody. And then last week we talked about discipleship. Really understanding, uh, yes, we are supposed to disciple, but what's the whole point of being a disciple? Can anybody give me the big why? Why? What is the whole point of discipleship? It was like the big end. Yeah. To yes, to multiply, but why? Okay, all right. I'll give you a pass for this week. <laughs> You're fine. Yeah, which is what? <laughs> to become a true worshiper of God. Yes, to become a true worshiper of God. And not just to become a true worshiper of God, but to help others become true worshipers of God. Because remember, it's about your heart attitude first. Like who, this may sound bad, but I mean this with all my heart. <laughs> who gives a rip how many people you witness to? Who gives a rip how many hours you spend in your Bible each week? Or how many verses you memorize? What, what's the big deal? I'm telling you, what is, what's the whole point? If your heart is not right with God, if you, if you are in a position where you cannot properly worship God and your life is in submission to the Spirit of God and you know that He is your Lord, 
He is your Savior. He is your Maker. And you are yielding to Him on a daily basis. All those other things are, are, are not going to mean anything. It's not going to mean anything. And eventually, your Bible reading is going to come to an end. Your memorizing is going to come to an end. Your witnessing is going to come to an end because you're just doing it out of works, out of duty, because that's what good Christians do. Now, you need to do it because you love God, that you adore Him, that your identity is found in Him. Some of the biggest problems that I have found among high schoolers is that they have never truly embraced their personal relationship with God. That they never truly have. And instead, I find so many guys, so many girls, they embrace other people. Like they will embrace their friends. They'll embrace, you know, a dating relationship. They'll embrace a talent. They'll embrace, um, you know, video games and hobbies. They'll embrace like all these other things. And they, they, they find, they're trying to find their identity and they try to find it in those things, but those things will always come to an end. It doesn't reap any spiritual benefits. If you would embrace your Savior and really fall in love with Him and really want to spend time with Him and get to know Him, and if you would really learn how to adore Him and to worship Him and to yield to Him, man, God could take all those other things and He could do some amazing spiritual work with it. I mean, absolutely amazing. But we have to unlearn and relearn. And it's hard. It's hard because growing up, you find different things that you're good at. And then we naturally embrace those things. And that becomes part of who we are when that's not who you are. That's not what we were meant to be. Like growing up, I was good at baseball. I was good at basketball. I found out later that I was good at music. But that's not my identity. That's not who I am. Those are things that I do and those are skill sets that I have. But that's not who I am. I am someone who has been redeemed by the blood of God, who has been saved by Jesus Christ, and my life is wrapped up in Him, and then I allow those things to be used by Him in any way that He wants. And so it's, it takes a, just a perspective shift, and that's something that's just not easy to do. It's just not easy to do. So that's what we talked about last week. So we're going to talk about the body of Christ. We're going to talk about it uh, in a little bit of a different fashion, and we're going to major on how that we are built as a body. And so we're going to really spend all of our time with these questions of the body's identity, the body's identity. So I just put some questions down based on this topic that I just naturally asked myself as I was thinking about the topic. Um, I'm sure there might be some uh, other questions that you might have um, as you are working through some of these things and feel free to ask them for sure as we work through it. But these are some of the big ones that I've found. Um, quick question before we start. Is everyone temperature wise every, okay or is it too hot in here? Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, room full of COVID. All right. Thanks, Bobby. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I mean, I know it's hot because I'm in here, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So the body's identity. So let's talk about the body's identity. All right. So letter A. What is the body of Christ? Turn to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. When it comes to learning about the body of Christ or the church or the bride of Christ, those, those terms are all interchangeable. Ephesians is the book. It is the book. This is something that you cannot find in the Old Testament um, outside of some types and pictures. As the, as the Word of God is laid out with Ephesians, it makes very clear what the body is, what the church is, who it is, who's in it. God's heart about it. Everything is the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters really nail this down. And then after learning that, now you can go back into the Old Testament. And you can start to see certain types that God was communicating. And it's really cool. In fact, the one from Sunday, anyone remember Pastor Tom from the message? 
What's one that he mentioned? Glad you're paying attention on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember that one? And he mentioned there's the type in the Old Testament. What was it? Okay, that was that one. But there was a bigger one that was like, oh, this is amazing. I loved it. Okay, you're going to have to go back and like listen to it. It was the tabernacle. The temple. The tabernacle and the temple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that part, that part. Yeah, well then you just need to get over yourself and just answer the question. All right, that's okay. So it's the temple, it's the tabernacle. And uh, we did a study years ago on that one about the different parts of the tabernacle and, and what they all represent. And it's really fascinating. It's, it's amazing to me. And so you can start to see certain types in the Old Testament now that we understand what the church is. So let's take a look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, so we're just going to step through some verses here in chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's talking to people that are already saved, that, they're, that are born again. And then he explains, go down in verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In the beloved. And so here he says, just in these first few verses, that we are, uh, that we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, that we've been predestinated or determined beforehand, that we would be adopted as children by Jesus Christ unto God, and that we should be to the praise of his glory because we are now accepted in the beloved. So there's a lot of people that get some false doctrine out of here called Calvinism, and they say that, you know, before you were even born or before you even existed, that it was predetermined that you were going to be saved and there's nothing you're going to do about it. There's nothing you could do about it. And that if you're not saved, there's nothing you could do about that either. That God just made these decisions ahead of time. That's not what God's saying here. What God is saying here is that He predestined, He determined beforehand that there would be a group of people. And this group of people would be called the church. And this group of people would be, as He says, that they should be holy, verse 4, and without blame before Him in love that they would be, in verse 6, accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, that they would have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, wherein, in verse 8, He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. And then in verse 11, in whom we have and obtain an inheritance predestined according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. So everyone that trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior, every person that is born again, has now been put into this thing that we called the church. So God predetermined beforehand, before the foundation of the world, before He even created anything, before Lucifer was ever around, before Lucifer's kingdom was around, before Lucifer fell, before Adam and Eve, before all that, God determined that at some point in the future, there is going to be a group of people that are going to be born again. They are going to trust in my son as their savior, and they are going to be accepted. They're going to be holy. They're going to be without blame before me in love. They are going to be perfect. They're going to be redeemed. They're going to be forgiven. Everything. That's who this, this group of people is going to be. And so he determined that way beforehand. So that is the body of Christ according to these verses, as you start to piece all this together. A predestinated group of born-again saints 
that have been forgiven, redeemed, blessed, accepted, and adopted by God as His children to glorify Him and be holy and without blame before Him in love. And then later on, God would gather them together in one, in Christ, and have an inheritance throughout all eternity. So that is the body of Christ. Now, if you were to place yourself back into the Old Testament and you were to show up to like, you know, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, David, Solomon, and you start to talk about this kind of stuff, they'd be like, what? What are you talking about? They didn't have a clue. They had no concept of the body of Christ. It wasn't until this point with Paul that God revealed it unto Paul that these things were going to be the case. All right, so that is the body. All right, now part two, letter B. Who is part of it? Who's part of it? Again, we've already talked about this a little bit, but who's part of it? Give me a reader for 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Emily, you can take that one. Um, and then Galatians 4, 6. Sam, do that one. Everybody else go to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Who is a part of this body? Who is a part of the body? All right, Emily, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all made to drink in into one spirit. Okay, so who puts us in the body? Emily, since you read it. Wait, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, you, you are Emily. Yeah, the verses you just read. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Okay, it's okay. It's all right. So who puts us in the body? According to that verse, who puts us in the body? The Spirit. Okay, by? How does he do it? Baptized? Yeah, baptism. Now, is this water baptism? No, but there's a lot of people that believe that. That by water baptism, you are placed into the body of Christ. That's not a trick question. It's okay. It's right there in front of you. Generally, it's more simple than more complicated. It's okay. So by the Spirit, He baptizes us, those that are believers, into what's called this body. Okay? So, Romans 8. Take a look at Romans 8. Verses 9 through 16. Okay. It says, But ye, talking about people that are saved, born again, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, this makes sense. Like, if the Spirit of God is not in you, you don't belong to him. Right? I mean, it's really as clear as that. You cannot be born again without the Spirit of God being in you which happens after the moment of salvation, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelt in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That is one of the clearest definitions in the Bible of what it means to walk in the Spirit, is that you are letting the Spirit of God lead you. You're letting the Spirit of God lead you. Now, just as a side note, how do you do that? Because that's pretty important. I mean, it says right here, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God. So you belong to Him. So how do you know? 
How do you know you're being led by the Spirit? This is like the million dollar question. Oh wait, never mind. Because of inflation, the billion dollar question. <laughs> Which just seemed to not mean anything anymore. <laughs> I got Andy in the back. Before I hit my leaders, what do we got? From the students. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? This one's important. Because if you can't answer this question, how do you even know you're saved? Hmm. Somebody? Well, I know you want to. <laughs> Isaac, give me the answer. Keep answering the question. Yes. That's okay. That's okay. It happens. I know. The train left the station. Just get it back in. Okay. It says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How do you know that you are being led by the Spirit? Okay. But how in your life, practically? How does that work out? Okay, we got a few. You can give it a shot, Connor. You want to do it? Hold on, hold on. You got it? Yeah, in your personal walk, but how? Um, you feel a conviction to do something. Okay, could be. But how do you know the difference between your your conscience and the Spirit of God? Because your conscience bears witness to the law of God written in your heart, right? Right. So how do we know that it's not your, just your conscience that's telling you what's right and wrong, and it's the Spirit of God trying to lead you? All right, Alana? Holy Spirit is like ten times stronger... You, me- you measured it? I've been wondering. Because yeah. <laughs> I would think it would probably be like 70, 77 times stronger just because, you know, God's number seven, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Okay, so explain. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, I don't know. Like, I know after I got saved, I just felt like stronger convictions for things, like, and like a conviction to like maybe to witness to someone or to read your Bible, like, because you love God. I don't know. Like, okay. Okay. All right. Emily? Um, one thing I was thinking about from Sunday is, like, Pastor Tom was saying he's a new person. Mm-hmm. He was acting completely different. And obviously some people don't have that change. But I was also thinking maybe, like, like it goes along with what the Bible's saying. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because I've struggled with that because, you know, I got to say when I was younger, so I don't have a old life to compare it to where I was like, oh yeah, you know, when I was four years old, I was like addicted to drugs and I, 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 I stole, stole my neighbor's car, you know, I was in juvie for 60 days. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have that kind of testimony. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I, I struggled growing up in church because I, did, I didn't have that. I didn't, I didn't have something where it's like there's a clear distinction. And so there were times in my life where I really struggled of how do, how do I actually know that I'm saved? You know what I mean? I think some of you guys can really relate to this. Isaac, what do you got? Call on Andy. You're going to call on Andy? Yeah, let him answer it. <laughs> All right. Okay. The fellas? Connor said what I was going to say. Okay. Good. But yeah, that means you passed the note and it was good. You to it like you have a conviction for like things of God and not just like sin in your life. Okay. Like, oh, like, 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 oh, God. <laughs> All right, Sam, what do you got? So, somewhat, at what Emily said, but actually, I'm thinking of a verse, James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So the same thing is knowing, okay, is wisdom from the world or from the Bible, you take your conviction and compare it to what God's Word says, okay. and then if it lines up with the Bible, then you know. Okay, yeah, that would be part of it. Yep, okay. Greg Hiddle. Yeah, because when I was, I got saved when I was really young too. So, like, I always struggled. I was, like, I was just super unsure for, like, a couple of years. So, mm-hmm. 
I always have to go back to the fact, like, okay, like, when I'm reading and when I'm spending, like, my quiet time with God, like, am I getting stuff out of it, or am I just, like, like, it's, because it's not even making sense, because I always heard that, like, the Holy Spirit, like, it interprets, like, everything for you, so I'm like, okay, like, if I'm seeing, like, this fruit in my life, and I'm seeing, like, the change, then that's how I, like, practically knew. Yeah. That was, like, yeah assurance kind of. Yeah, that's good. Let's camp out there for a second. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about how the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about how the Holy Spirit is the one that authored the Bible. So one of the biggest ways you can find, one of the greatest evidences that you have the Spirit of God inside of you, is that when you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible, there are things that you begin to understand about God. Like as you're reading through it, there are certain things where it jumps out at you where you're like, oh my word, I have been living wrong. Or, oh my gosh, my attitude's been terrible. Or, man, that is amazing about God. It's the Spirit of God working inside of you. Because you cannot understand the Word of God without the Spirit of God. You can't. There's no way. Classic case in point for me today. I was reading my Bible, and just through the course of events that are happening, I was reading, and I've, and, I've, and I've read this passage like so many times, and I'm writing it out for discipleship, and I get to this certain verse, and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'm like, oh my word, this phrase is amazing. Like, how have I never seen this before? And then I started cross-referencing it out, and I'm like, no way. And it started, and then the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is one of those moments that I could go to, you know, like a friend or go to my wife and say, hey, this is amazing. They're like, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah whatever. It's just a couple words. <laughs> but for me, it like meant the world to me because I'm like, I have never seen that before. And I know that God taught me that. That the Spirit of God taught me that because it was something that I've read over so many times and it just enhanced my, my love for God, my understanding of God and His character. I mean, that's one of the big things. I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. That was just kind of a side note. That's important. Are you in your Bible, first of all? Do you have a desire to be in your Bible? If you do, and it's not just guilt or your conscience telling you that that's what good Christians should do, when you read, when you, when you read your Bible, when you read your Bible, do you understand it? Does God teach you things practically about your life, about things that you're not doing right? That maybe that you're, you're doing wrong, you need to correct. Does He rebuke you? Does He teach you stuff out of it when you read it? If He doesn't, then you may not have the Spirit of God in you. That's one of the greatest evidences that the Spirit of God is in you. Because He's the revealer of truth. He's called the Spirit of truth. And He's the author of the Bible. So think about that. And maybe you need to get into your Bible to figure out if you understand it or not. Because if you don't, then maybe you need to get right with God. Because sometimes we can deceive ourselves and think that we're okay when we're not. And it's just our conscience which won't save us. Our conscience can't save you. It's the Spirit of God that must save you. Alright. And then Galatians 4, 6. Sam, you had that one. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so this is what I'm talking about, the Abba, Father. Abba, Father simply means dad or daddy. It's an intimate relationship. When the Spirit of God is inside of you, He is crying out to the Father as daddy. I have this relationship with you, my Father. And so we can come to God and He teaches us and He trains us and He disciplines us. And so that is a witness of the Spirit of God inside of you. So anyone who freely chooses to be born again, 
is then indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. They are spiritually baptized, like that verse that Emily just read in 1 Corinthians 12, by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ at their salvation. So the moment a person gets saved, the moment that they call upon the Lord to save them, the Spirit of God moves in, and the moving in of the Spirit, they are now completely set apart, but the Spirit moves in, and now they are spiritually baptized into what's called the body of Christ, which is Ephesians 1, 1 through 12. Okay, and I've already answered a little bit of this one, but it will go a little bit deeper. How does someone become a member of it? How does someone become a member of it? Go to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is probably the clearest two verses that I found in the Bible that explains the process of what happens at the moment of salvation and how things transpire. So if you are born again today, then this has happened to you. This has happened to you. Ephesians 1, look at verse 13. And we'll talk about 14 in a minute, but just 13 right now. In whom ye also trusted, talking about Christ, that you've trusted in Christ, after that ye, what is the word there? Heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the very first step that must happen to become a part of the body of Christ is that you have to hear the gospel. You have to hear the message about God becoming a man and dying in your stead, in your place, suffering the wrath of God on your behalf so that way you might be freely redeemed. Someone has to hear that message. It's not just enough to say, hey, I know I'm a bad person or I know that I'm a sinner. They have to hear the gospel. So the first step is that you hear the word of truth. So that after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye, what's the word? right there on your page. Believed. Believed. Okay. Alright. Believed. I was just making sure you don't have like a Spanish Bible or something. Believed. Alright. So after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you hear the gospel and then you believe it. That's really it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes is that you hear the gospel and then you believe it. Part of belief ties in with Romans 10, 17. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you really believe the gospel, you will then act upon it. And you will call out to God for Him to save you. That has to happen in someone's life. Out of a heart of sincerity, being genuine between them and God. And once that happens, the Spirit of God moves in. And then they are spiritually baptized into the body of Christ. Romans 6 talks about that. John 1, 12 talks about that too. Um, and so those are really, really good verses. All right, so here's the next question. When was the body born? Have you ever thought about that one? Because it's the body of Christ, right? So when did it start? When, did it, when was it created? So it was in the mind of God. He predestined it before the foundation of the world. But when did it actually start to happen? When Jesus rose from the grave? Nope, but good, good try. Anybody know? know? Okay. Round to you. Can I take another guess? Absolutely. Go for it. Whenever they've accepted it for the first time? Nope. But a good one. No. It's like you're, you're dancing around it. You're dancing around it. Isaac. What, 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 what's that? <laughs> okay. What happened? When the, what caused the veil to tear? Yes. His death. Yeah. So when Jesus died on the cross. No, it's okay. No, no, I'm telling you, no, there's a lot of people that are super confused about this. Because some people say the body wasn't born until Acts 2 when the Spirit of God moved into people to permanently indwell them. Right? So there's a lot of people that believe that. But the Bible says very clearly, look at Ephesians 2, verse... 16. Yep, 16. We'll read verse 15 just to have a little bit of context. Having abolished in his flesh 
the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, this new body so making peace, and that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, by the cross. By the cross. So that's where the church began. That's where the body of Christ was born. It was by the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost and the, and the, uh, the veil was rent in two from top to bottom, that's when the body was born. Now, get this though. Think about this. So the body's now born, but it doesn't have life yet. It doesn't have life yet. When did the body get life? Holy yes. Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Because the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is also called the Spirit of life. When Jesus Christ left the planet, He replaced Himself as the way, the truth, and the life with the Bible, the church, and the Spirit of God. And so the church was born, the body of Christ was born at the cross. That's when it was created. But it didn't really function at all until... Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is exactly what Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1. This is what he told them uh, in Luke, uh, towards the end of Luke. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, where you're going to be endued with power from on high. So when the Spirit of God moved into them, that's when the body became functioning. And then right after, you see them, they got to work. They immediately got to work after that. Peter went out preaching. They went out sharing the gospel and about Jesus Christ to everyone in Jerusalem. And that's when the body began to truly function. So it was born at the cross. Now here's the next one. This one's kind of confusing. Kind of a fun one, too. When will it be finished? Because the body is built. It's built. It even says that in Ephesians chapter 4. So when is it going to be finished? When the rapture happens. Yes. And when's that going to happen? We don't know yet. <laughs> Any date sitters? <laughs> I always joke with people because I'm like, as soon as you set a date, it's not going to happen now. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so when the rapture happens. Now, here's what's interesting. All right. So take a look at this. Go to Romans 11. Romans. Notice we're spending a lot of time in Ephesians and Romans. Romans 11. This one's a really good nougat. Nougat. I know we could eat it. Well, I mean you can, but yeah. <laughs> I don't have an edible Bible, but anyway. All right. All right. Romans 11. Okay. So Romans 9, 10, and 11 are all about. Now, what about the Jews? Okay, so we have this thing called the church. We have this thing, uh, people are becoming born again. They have the Spirit living inside of them. Now, what about the Jews? And so Paul answers all those questions. And kind of tucked in here in Romans chapter 11, you have one of the mysteries, which, of course, Pastor Tom is going to be covering here in the weeks to come with the seven mysteries on Sunday morning. But verse 25, this one's a good one. It says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And he talks about this covenant. So here he says, God's not done with the nation of Israel. 
Don't be ignorant. There's a lot of Christians that are out there that want to convince you that God is done with the nation of Israel. That they are heathens. That, they have, that God wants nothing to do with them anymore. That the church has now replaced Israel. That is blasphemy. Straight up blasphemy out of the book of Revelation. God says, you know what? If you're going to say that you're a Jew and you're not, man, look out. That's blasphemy. You don't even want to touch that. So here he says, don't be ignorant. God is not done with the nation of Israel. And it says, blindness in part has happened unto them. In part, which means there's going to be some Jews that get saved. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now, we don't have time to study this out in its entirety because it's a deep study. But the fullness of the Gentiles is in reference to that body being completed of Jews and Gentiles all coming in. God knows that number. There is a number, a certain number of people that God is waiting for. And once that happens, there's nothing left except for the rapture of the church. And so what's funny about this, this is really cool. I wish we had time to really dive into it. This gets into the whole topic of the sons of God. The sons of God. Now, when you study this out, i got all your references here, so you can, you can check them out later. But in you, you look in the Old Testament, every time the sons of God is mentioned, there's only two places where it's mentioned where it's actually okay, and that's at the beginning. But when you study it out, you find out that the sons of God were a part of the angelic host that followed Lucifer in his rebellion. And you find them in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. And in there, they're following Lucifer's lead as he's presenting himself before God. And so the sons of God are the, that third, have you ever heard this before, that a third of the angels fell? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Well, that's the sons of God. There's one verse in Revelation that we get the term third, and that can be argued. Um, it may be, it may not be, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not really definitive on it. I usually say a third just because that's what people have normally said, but I can't be dogmatic about it. But this group called the sons of God have now fallen. And when you study it out, you find out that there's only two human beings before we were born again. There were only two human beings that were called the sons of God. Who were they in the Bible outside of these, this angelic host? Who were they? Anybody know? Adam was the first one. Do you know that Adam is called the son of God? It says that in his genealogy in the book of Luke, chapter 2. In his genealogy, he's called the Son of God. Who's the other one? Jesus. 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 Yes, the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus was called the Son of God. In fact, he's called the last Adam. And that's the verse that I have on your guys' study sheet. Actually, you know what? I didn't put that one on here. Go ahead and write this one down. It's a good one. 1 Corinthians 15.45. 1 Corinthians 15.45 talks about how Jesus is the last Adam. So Jesus is finishing what God wanted to start with Adam. And so he's restoring not only the image of God, but this relationship that Adam had with God to be a son of God. And so we, as the sons of God, the sons and the daughters of God, we are now replacing the fallen sons of God that followed after Lucifer in his rebellion. And so take a look at John 1. You guys know this verse, but now it should shed a little bit different light now that we've talked about that context. And again, you can study this out with those verses that I gave you. I gave all the verses that you would need in order to study out this topic under letter E. All right, John 1, and somebody read 12, verse 12. John 1, verse 12. Ethan. But, he is, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You do not see anyone called a son of God until after Jesus Christ died and resurrected and the Holy Spirit of God moved into them. Once that happened, the church, the body of Christ, are now called the sons of God. Let me show you one more verse. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3.
1 John 3. And someone read verse 1 and 2. Who wants that one? 1 and 2. Andy! Thanks, man. You're welcome. Thanks for calling on me. Oh, you're welcome. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay. So after Jesus Christ dies and resurrects now, to them that have trusted in him, believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And now you start to see that phrase go throughout Scripture. You'll see Paul write about the sons of God and being a son of God. He writes about it in Philippians. John writes about it in 1 John. You'll see it all throughout the Scriptures in the New Testament. And that's because the body of Christ, we are the sons of God. So that phrase, son of God or sons of God, is the church the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And we are replacing that number of those angelic hosts that fell after Lucifer's rebellion. It's a really cool study, but that's when it's going to be finished. And once that last person gets saved, whoever it may be, then God has nothing left to do except for to call us home. And the rapture will then take place. Alright, so last point. Can you be removed from the body? No. No, you cannot. Once you're in the body, you cannot be removed. You cannot lose your salvation. Go over to Ephesians. It's been our core book for this one. Ephesians 1. We'll look at a couple of verses in Ephesians, and then I'll answer any other questions you guys might have coming out of this. All right. So Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We already read that you've heard the word of truth, then you believe it, and then the last part of verse 13, the last third, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. The moment that you are saved, you are sealed by the Spirit of God, and that is God's down payment that He's coming back to get you. And there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. You cannot lose your salvation. Take a look at chapter 4 of Ephesians, and someone read verse 30. Verse 30, as they would say in Ireland. Brandon. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Okay, so how long are you sealed? Until the day of redemption. Yes. Until the day that God decides to come back and crack open that bag of chips called you. Sorry, that was really... It's called creative license. I just, it was in here, and I'm like, that's got to come out because it's phenomenal. I mean, how, where else am I going to be able to? I can't say that in front of the church. I dare you. That'd be great. <laughs> All right. So, wait a minute. God's going to eat me? No. All right. So, okay. So, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You're sealed until God comes back. And you get your glorified body, and now everything, all His promises are now completely and totally fulfilled. So you cannot be removed. And it says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6.17. It says the same thing in Romans 8, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. 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 Absolutely nothing. Nothing can separate you from Christ. That's our version. <laughs> nothing can. And so you are sealed until the day that you die or until he raptures you and then you will be in the presence of God for all eternity. Alright. You okay? 
Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> so she's laughing in the spirit. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So that is the body's identity. So we're going to cover its purpose. And we're going to talk about its design and where you all fit in uh, next week. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but any questions on that? We had some really heavy theological stuff tonight. I don't know if you realize or not. Yes, Andrew. So you know how I call you when we have some weird things that come up. Yeah. So when you talked about when the body was born, so obviously when Jesus Christ dies, Yes. we know that then you have to be saved. You have to accept him. How did then, did they know that? They didn't. So when someone died during that transition, what do you think happened? good question. Okay, so here's my theory, because we do cover this in JBI, by the way, in Systematic Theology. Oh, thank goodness we're not there yet, because my mind would be blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think every week your mind's going to melt. Like, you can't be on call during that trimester. There's just no way. I mean, you're literally going to die if you are. So, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, anyway. Yeah, yeah, something like that. No, it might be actually two more years, something like that. Okay. Anyway, whatever. The rapture will probably happen by then. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> okay, so so it's a great question because you know if you think about it, even in Acts Acts chapter one, chapter two, when Peter's preaching three, four, five, like they didn't understand the whole concept of what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. You know, they still believed as Jews that it was only for Jews because the first Gentile doesn't get saved until Acts chapter ten. When he's preaching in Jerusalem, he's preaching to Jews, which was the way that God operated in the Old Testament. If you wanted to be saved, I use that term, not born again. If you wanted to be saved under the Old Testament economy, you had to become a Jew. You had to forsake your people, your religion, and you had to become a proselyte, which means you're a Gentile, but now you've converted into Judaism. That's the only way that you could be right with God and have righteousness from God, that after you die, that you would then go to paradise. That's the only way that could occur. Now, at this point in time, they had no idea what was going on. And the Spirit of God did not seal anybody until it was given in Acts chapter 2. So, there's a couple things that are at play here. Um, my current theory, and I can't really prove this beyond the shadow of a doubt, um, is that uh, these people are part of what's called the first fruits. The first fruits. So, anybody that was around during the, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and that would include like Lazarus, that would include, um, you know, even in Luke 16 where it has the rich man and Lazarus, there's several other people that had died during that time. Anyone that would have died prior to Acts chapter 2, they would be part of what's called the first fruits. Now, go, this one's interesting. Go to Matthew chapter 20, I want to say it's 25. Matthew chapter 25. Alright, I was wrong. 27. 27. I knew it was in the 20s. 27. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't want to be arrogant or anything. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so... This gets, in, this gets into the, the topic of what's called the, the rapture of the church. And this is another mystery that Tom's going to cover. I don't know if he's going to cover it in this amount of detail or not, but I'm just going to give you it at a very high level. The rapture occurs in three phases. There are three phases of the rapture. Uh, the rapture of the church has always been talked about as within the concept of a harvest. So the harvest, whenever a harvest would happen, and it doesn't matter where it's at, there's always this process. 
you have first fruits, which are the first part of the harvest that can be um, harvested. And then you let the rest of the crops grow until they're mature. This is the majority of the harvest. And then at that point in time, everything is then collected and harvested at that point in time. And then there are the gleanings. The gleanings are the ones that sprout up a little bit later. And those are the ones that, uh, that they would collect afterward. In the Old Testament, they were told to not collect the gleanings because the gleanings were for people that were poor and could not afford to buy their own food. And so they could freely go out into the fields and harvest their own, but it was a part of the gleanings. Um, the one story that tells us the best is Ruth. So in the book of Ruth, she went out and she took part of the gleanings. And then uh, Boaz found her and said, no, 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 I don't want you to do the gleanings. Go and be part of the harvest. And then, so then she was able to get her barley and all that stuff. Yeah. You're talking about like those left behind? Get into it. Hang on. Okay. okay. No, that's right. So there's three parts of the harvest. You have your first fruits, you got your harvest, and then you have your gleanings. So with the first fruits, this would be the first fruits because um, there's another passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about Christ, the first fruits, and then they that are his at his second coming. So it's there's there's that's the process there. So here it says in Matthew 27, verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So that is when he died. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Pause there for a second. Just as kind of a fun side note. This veil, super massive, super thick, super awesome. Okay, There's no way this veil, as with how thick it is and the material that it's made from, there's no way that it can tear from the top to the bottom. No one would even be able to take it from the bottom and tear it up. There's no way they could have done it. It was so thick in the material that it was made from. So you know this was God. God made it tear from the top to the bottom. So when God did that, it exposed the Holy of Holies and the mercy seat and everything, the very presence of God. And I'm telling you, there were Jews in the temple at that time that were actually sacrificing and doing the whole Passover stuff at that point in time. I'm willing to bet a million bucks. I don't have it. But if I did, <laughs> I'm willing to bet a million bucks that the high priest was in the Holy of Holies taking the blood from the Lamb and spreading it on the mercy seat when Jesus said, it is finished and yielded up the ghost and the veil was rent. And all of a sudden he turned around and he could see everybody. <laughs> I am willing to bet you a million bucks that's what happened. Because that is God. That is what God does. Like God is the best storyteller on the planet. Well, universe, uh, everything. <laughs> He's the best storyteller. And so he does stuff like this. And so you have that veil being rent from the top to the bottom. Now, take a look at this. The earthquake, the rocks rent, verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Did you know that there were other people that resurrected from the grave outside of Jesus when he rose from the dead? I can't tell you how many times I've read over this and I'm like, do, 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 do. and then I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what? That's incredible. That means that Jesus rose from the dead and he was the first one to rise from the dead and then other people rose from the dead and they went into the city and they started having conversations with people. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. This would be the first fruits. The first fruits. Now, these people, I'm not sure if they're born again or not. I don't know. This is one of those things where I would tend to think that they're not. 
um, that they are not in a glorified body, that they are not part of the sons of God, because that didn't happen until Acts chapter 2. But theoretically speaking, if Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead, could they have been kind of like him? Yes, but we, were, we don't really know because he, did not, he didn't allow the Spirit of God to come down and permanently indwell people until after he ascended up to the Father because he had to send the Spirit to then permanently indwell people and that can only happen after he was in the third heaven. Yeah? Do you know like who exactly was raised up from the dead? No. They have no idea. They didn't say a word. The closest type we have is Lazarus. So Lazarus would be a type of guy where he was around during Jesus' ministry and he died and God brought him back. And so he was in what's called a resurrected body, which is different from a glorified body. So when you really study out the details of it, the resurrected body it still has flesh and bones, still has blood. The glorified body has flesh and bones, but it doesn't have blood. It's a celestial body that can exist outside of the earth's atmosphere and can exist in the second heaven and the third heaven. Yeah. Did they like ascend with Jesus when he went up to heaven, or did they just? I don't know. Stay on earth I have no idea. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. I've 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 kind of thought. Well, it could be. It could be either one. I mean, they could have. He could. They could have been taken up when Jesus went up, or it could have been like Lazarus, where they were resurrected and then they're just going to have to die again. But at that point in time, then they would be with God. I have no idea. It doesn't say. So I have no idea. So that would be the first fruits. Yeah. So the people that like had to turn to like be Jews to be into the kingdom of heaven yes. before like the crucifixion and everything. Yep. After that would they have to like if they were already Jews and they say we're like going to heaven. Yep. After like the death would they just have to like get saved over? So people that are still alive. Yeah. Like, okay. If they already like turned and then would they have to like Yes. So it would be similar to, okay, so the, the, the best example is the disciples. So the disciples were Jews that trusted in the Messiah, but they were not born again until Acts 2, when the Spirit of God came in to them. They already believed. So because they already believed, they were just waiting for the promise to come from the Father. So for them it was a little bit different because they already believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They already knew that he needed to save them. And so when Acts 2 verses 1 through 4 unfolded, they were already sealed and now they're born again from that point forward. But before then they were not born again. They were not sealed. Not yet. Because that could not happen until Jesus died, resurrected, and then ascended. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Okay. So anybody else that would have been like that would have been like Mary and Martha, um, even you know Jesus' own mother, his siblings... Um, the other 500 disciples that would have been following Jesus at that point in time, um, Joseph of Arimathea, who Jesus' body was in, you know, all those believers would have then become part of this, this group in Acts 2 that would have been born again at that point in time. Okay? Okay, good. Andy? I know this was deep. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry for asking a long one, but so when the thief died next to yes. Christ on the cross, obviously he said, you will be with me in paradise. Right, which is not heaven. Okay. Yes. So we're going back still like those like in Abraham's bosom. Yes. Prior to all that. Okay. Yes. Yes. So for those of you that don't know that side of it, it's Luke 16 that talks about Abraham's bosom being in the center of the earth. So all the Old Testament saints that died in the Old Testament before the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ went to the center of the earth. And in Luke 16, it actually describes what the center of the earth looked like. One side of it was paradise, and the other side of it was hell. And you see the rich man and Lazarus having a conversation with Abraham involved where there was a great gulf that was fixed between them, so that way they couldn't pass over. But on the one side is hell and hellfire, um, and then on the other side was paradise. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
Ephesians talks about this in chapter 4, where he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Uh, And there's another in John 20, it details this as well. When Jesus was ascending to the Father, he took all the Old Testament saints with him from paradise and, and ushered them up to the presence of God. Another great type in the Old Testament is Joshua leading the nation of Israel to the promised land. In a spiritual sense, Jesus did that same thing for all the Old Testament saints into the presence of God, and now they're there waiting for their resurrected body to then have their own nation in eternity future. So that's getting into a whole host of other things. But yes, that is absolutely true. Okay. All right. So there's the three parts of the rapture. So that's where the first fruits would be. The main harvest would be the rapture of the church. And that's what we're waiting for. The gleanings that then take place after the fact is the anyone that is uh, that trusts Christ as their Savior and they follow the Old Testament law during the tribulation. And there's actually a rapture that takes place at that time as well, right before the second coming. So there, we can get into some of that stuff later because that's really fascinating. I love that topic. Go ahead. So the rapture happens like the gleanings? The second coming, yes. Second coming? Yep. So there's like another? Yep. Okay. There sure is. Hit it again. Yep. Yeah, because in Revelation it talks about there is a rapture that takes place during the tribulation right before the second coming. Now we're already raptured out and we're done. So these, uh, the people that are raptured out during the tribulation are people that have trusted God and followed God and being persecuted by the Antichrist. And God raptures them out right before he comes back and wipes the earth clean. Yeah, and then he sets up his own kingdom. Those people still go through like the seals and the bones. Yes, they do. Yep, they do. And they are not sealed. They are not born again. Only the church is born again. So that means that if you're in the tribulation, you could lose your salvation. Because it's under the Old Testament law. Right. Yep. Yep. What do you got? Does that mean they have to like sacrifice sheep again or something? Yes and no. So there are going to be some Jews that observe that. But once the Antichrist goes in and desecrates the temple, there's no way they can do that because he sits upon the mercy seat and calls himself God in Jerusalem. So in Revelation, there's a phrase that's repeated over and over. It says that they have the testimony of Jesus Christ and keep the commandments of God. Oh, so they have to follow every rule without fault. Yes, but they're also covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in that sense. So the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell them, but they're still trusting in Jesus as their Savior as their Messiah, and they are following the Lord, very similar to Job, the way Job did, where he obeyed his conscience, and he was just making sure that he was right with God. Uh, There's no need to sacrifice, necessarily, because Jesus is the sacrifice that covers all sin, once and for all, but they will still have to follow um, the commandments of God uh, and really being obedient. And at that time, it's going to be really clear. Like, one of the things that God lays out is that you can't go through the tribulation and take the mark of the beast. He says it very clearly in Revelation. If you take the mark of the beast, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. You've lost it. So that means that if someone has received the mark of the beast in their right hand or their right eye, uh, that they will have to literally cut their hand off or pluck their eye out if they want to receive Christ as their Savior. They're going to have to do that, which is going to be a tall order. And then they're going to be running for their lives because they're not going to be able to buy or sell anything. They're not going to be able to get medicine for their families. They're not going to be able to get anything. And so they're going to have to find refuge. Very similar to how the Jews had to find refuge during World War II from the Nazis. So, all right. So this kind of turned into a little bit of a Q&A. How about them apples? All right. So be kicking some of that stuff around. Um, it's really fascinating. We're going to talk next week about how, uh, what's the purpose of the body and your design and where you fit in and why that's all important. So let's go ahead and pray. Rick, you want to pray? Close this out. Heavenly Father, we come before you again tonight. Just, uh, thank you for this time we have together, Lord. It's just uh, a lot of things to uh, really uh, 
really to digest and consider. And, uh, let's pray again about uh, a lot of folks uh, in here in their walks and uh, just to really evaluate where they're at and uh, to really embrace you and, and not just toy around with uh, the idealism of God, but to really in, embrace having a relationship with you. It's, it's a necessity. I, I can't stress enough, Lord, how you showed me after getting saved just how much I needed you, how much, I, how much you protected me when I was lost, and, and how much you guided me as a, as a saved man. And, Lord, I really pray that, uh, that everybody in here would really grasp that. They grasp it now rather than later and making choices that, uh, that can really affect that. So I just pray about that, that they would really consider these things and, uh, pray for safe travels uh, home tonight uh, for finishing out this week strong uh, need to start praying about camp as that's right around the corner and uh, Lord I just pray that uh, you lay some uh, lay some folks on the hearts of people in here to invite to come that's uh, camps amazing and I just pray that, uh, that this would really be taken seriously about inviting guests and that uh, it would just be an amazing camp so we need to start praying about it now uh, we need to start praying for our speaker. So just uh, lift all these things up to you and uh, so much more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.